With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Breaking down every game every day in Major League Baseball, this is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. Hey, warmer for Vivo. Welcome to Love You Las Vegas for the baseball betting show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Beast and Family Podcast. We've got an excellent podcast for you. Joining me in segment number two, Ben Wilson. He does tremendous work here at VSIN with a lot of our live betting coverage every Saturday and Sunday when it comes to the football season. On top of that, he does a tremendous job with his play-by-play work as well. Indoor football, when it comes to basketball season, college basketball, the G League. He also does quite a bit with regards to tennis as well. He's going to be joining me in. We're going to be taking a look at what we were all getting with regards to this National League race. Can any team dethrone the Atlanta Braves? How to view the AL West with regards to a betting perspective as well. We're going to be diving in on both of those fronts in segment number two. And he's got some helpful advice for anyone still looking at some futures this late in the season and some advantageous spots there in the final segment. Going to get you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this baseball Saturday as we touch them all. If you do have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter slash X timeline at GNNRS41. Keep in mind, letters M, they mean does not matter. So as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you are able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Did not get in any Twitter slash X questions today, but had a great day of baseball on Friday. Let's take a look back at it. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the Rowdy Recap. With the Greg Peterson experience being from midnight to 3 Eastern time, do have a pair of games for cleanup from Thursday as well. And one involves the DK Network write-up picks, which... We were 8-0 going into Thursday, and we're now 0-2 in our last two, so we'll look to clean that up. So, if you want to take that glass half full approach into my last 10, but Tigers let me down on Friday after, on Thursday, they got a nice easy win by kind of 7-3. Tariq Skubal, absolutely amazing in this one. Seven scoreless settings, punched out 10, and then you did have the debut, I believe, of Brennan Hennefee as he did allow three runs over the course of two innings, but game was put away from there as the Tigers did go 3 of 17 with Ben in scoring position, but trio of errors just killed Luis Medina and the Oakland A's as for Medina gives up five runs, four of which were earned over the course of five innings before Mason Miller comes in, gives up two runs, one of which was earned in his two innings before Easton Lucas along with Trevor May were both able to end a scoreless inning, and you did see Brett Rooker get his 28th home run in the campaign, and then 
Things went sideways for the Tigers' bullpen on Friday. 8-2, the A's get it done as a nice start here from Sawyer Gibson Long. He gives up one run over the course of five innings. From there, Wolves, three runs, two of which were earned, give it up in a third of an inning. Tyler Holton unable to hold it down. He gives up a home run himself in his two-thirds of an inning of work trade. Winchenter gives up three runs in an inning, and Jose Cicerno was able to turn a scoreless inning. He did see Carson Kelly get his second home run season off of Ken Waldachuk, who had one of his better appearances of the season, giving up two runs over the course of six innings. From there, scoreless innings out of Lucas Ursage, Danny Jimenez, and Zach Neal, as the A's have actually been a pretty surprising over team this far this season. They have played right around 54.5% of their games over the total, but... Just a complete disaster for the Detroit Tigers, who did not get any help from Javi Baez in the field, as he had an error to help that run a little bit for the San Francisco Giants. Unable to get it done on Thursday, but they did on Friday. On Thursday, they lose by kind of 7-2 as the Dodgers. They just continue to be an over machine. As this game went over, though, they did play an under on Friday. Still, though, another 60% of their games have gone over the total this season as Kyle Erson. He had a relatively solid start, giving up two runs over the course of five and a third innings for the Dodgers going deep off of him. J.D. Martinez, 30th home run in the campaign as he's had a home run in four out of his last five games. Emmett Sheehan, he allows just one run on the flip side for L.A. in four and two-thirds innings with nine strikeouts from there. Alex Essie had to give up a solo home run in his inning of work going deep for San Francisco. Jack Peterson, 15th home run season, but the Dodgers bullpen, the far better one on Thursday. Joe Kelly, Evan Phillips, Shelby Miller, all landed squirrel setting, and Ryan Brazier not out of the bullpen. Meanwhile, for San Francisco, Luke Jackson gives up two runs, one of which was earned in his inning of work. Scott Alexander, two runs surrendered in his inning of work, and John Brebbia. He got two outs, sending a lot of run along the way. Meanwhile, for the game on Friday, San Francisco, they're able to get a trio of home runs, and they're able to get it done by a count of 5-1, to one as it was home run number one in the young career of Tyler Fitzgerald. So the Fitz was able to go yard off of Ryan Yarbrough, and then the other two give it up by Gavin Stone. Why he continues to get appearances, I'm not sure, but Mikey Strumsky, 15th home run season, and Dario Estrada was able to get his 13th as for Caleb Ferguson, he pitched a scoreless setting as the opener. Stone from there, three runs surrendered in four and a third innings. And then Ryan Yarbrough gives up two runs in three and two-thirds innings. And for the San Francisco Giants, Sean Manea was able to close the door on the L.A. Dodgers. Seven scoreless innings did have Camelia Duvall get the final four outs of the game. Scoreless to be able to get that save and tie the Rodgers. Allows a run, but was an unearned run. Was hurt by a little bit of something that happened out there in the field. So... The San Francisco Giants able to get a little bit of revenge, and they stay very lively in the playoff picture. As right now, the National League playoff picture, it is murky. The Cubs right now control one of those wild card spots. They got done by a kind of six to zero against the Colorado Rockies. As Noah Davis, Rocky start for him, three runs surrendered over the course of five innings. As going deep for the Cubbies, you got home run number twenty of the season for Say Suzuki, and then. Home run number two for young Jared Young. He was able to go deep off of Kevin Hallwell. Hallwell gives up two runs over the course of his inning of work. From there, Brent Suter gives up a run and an inning, and Victor Vodnik was able to lend a scoreless inning. And for the Cubs, James Tatayan was on point. Six scoreless innings with Drew Smiley providing two scoreless, and Hayden Wozneski is able to get a scoreless inning, and that was big because the Reds also fell on Friday. 7-5, to five. the Pittsburgh Pirates are able to get it done as for the Pirates, how about a quartet of home runs? Andy Rodriguez is third of the campaign. 
Henry Davis is sixth. You got home run number 15 for Brian Hayes. And Jared Triolo was able to go low, low, deep for home run number three of the campaign as for the Reds. Andrew Abbott gave up two of those home runs, but both were solo home runs. Only went four and a third innings, but not bad there from there. Buck Farmer allows a pair of solo home runs in his inning of work. Lucas Sims and Fernando Cruz make a bye for two scoreless innings, but Ian Gabo gets two outs, but allows two runs along the way. Dan Duarte gives up a run and three walks while getting just one out before Derek Law has to clean up his mess. And for the Reds, he did have TJ Friedel get his 15th home run of the campaign. That comes off of Hunter Stratton after Andre 3000 Jackson was the opener for Luis Ortiz, who allowed three runs in three and two-thirds innings. So that answers the fact that he will not be the mystery starter for the Pittsburgh Pirates. From there, you had Jose Hernandez give up a run in two-thirds of an inning. Hunter Stratton gives up that solo run in his two-thirds of an inning. But David Benar, Ryan Baruki, along with Carmen Maldazinski, they're all able to turn a squirrel saying to be able to get the Pirates into the winner's circle. When it comes to the American League side of things, the Toronto Blue Jays are looking to throw a wrench into the AL West plans of getting three teams into the playoffs as they're able to get it done against the Tampa Bay Rays by a count of 6-2 for Toronto. Chris Bass said, good start on the road giving up two runs in six and two-thirds innings as the real falter that he had was giving up home run number one to Curtis Mead. From there, the bullpen was able to do their part as Jordan Hicks get a scoreless inning and Jordan Romano, he gets a final four out to be able to turn that save his 36th of the campaign. And Dalton Varsho, he gets his 18th home run of the campaign. That comes off of Jason Adam, fresh off the injured list, allows that Home run, two runs in total over the course of a third of an inning for Tyler Glass. Now, not sharp in this one, though. Gives up four runs in five and a third innings. Kevin Kelly, five outs out of the bullpen scoreless. Jake Diekman is scoreless setting in. Irasimoto Ramirez was able to get a pair of outs out of the bullpen himself. And this in a game involving a Rays team that's been very hot to the over at home. They have, as a matter of fact, played 63.5% of their home games over. The total close at 7.5, so it would go over for some. The New York Yankees have had a tough time getting overs, but they were able to get some runs on Friday. 7-1, they take down an Arizona Diamondbacks team that they are currently in control of one of those wildcard spots as well. Brandon fought. He fought hard, but came up short. Gave up six runs, five of which were earned over the course of four and a third innings as Aaron Judge goes deep off of him twice, and then he goes deep off of Slade Sissoni. Home runs 33, 34, and 35 of the campaign as he had six RBI. Sissoni gives up that solo run in two and two-thirds innings to a man to play. Scroll setting in. The ever-so-struggling Christian Walker perhaps busted out of it in the ninth inning. Gets home run 31 of the campaign off of one Mr. Johnny Brito. As for the Yankees, Luke Weaver got the start. Five and a third inning scoreless. And Brito, three and two-thirds innings for his first career save, giving up that solo home run along the way. So that was not great for the Arizona Diamondbacks. And this was even worse for the Miami Marlins. They gave up a 12 spot to the Milwaukee Brewers. 16 to 1 the final. Corbin Burns, all sorts of run support that he frankly really did not need. He went five scoreless innings. He did have Bryce Wilson give up a home run in his inning of work going deep for Miami. John Birdie, fourth home run of the campaign. He did have Mr. Trevor McGill, Andrew Chafin, and the position player, Rowdy Tellez, all turn a scoreless inning as the Brewers. They go 10 of 17 with men in scoring position, and Christian Yelich pulverized his old team. Coming back, he had 18th at he had his 18th and 19th home runs of the campaign, and Josh Donaldson went deep for home run number 13. As Stephen Oker allowed that home run to Donaldson, 
giving up four runs in two-thirds of an inning. JT Chargois got a pair of outs out of the bullpen scoreless, but for Brian Owing, nine runs surrendered in three innings as a bulk guy. George Floriano gives up three runs in one and two-thirds innings. Jacob Sawings, the position player, turned two scoreless innings, and Johnny Cueto was able to end a scoreless inning, so that was an almighty hot mess. Things have been an almighty hot mess for the LA Angels, and they once again come up short on the run line. The Minnesota Twins able to get it done by a count of 8-6. to six. Angels, by the way, starting to bust out with the bats a little bit more. Logan Oppy, 12th homer on the campaign off of Caleb Theobar, and Pablo Lopez gives one up to Jared Walsh, his fourth homer on the season. Lopez allows three runs over the course of six innings before Caleb Theobar gives up the other home run. Two runs surrendered over the course of his inning. Yohan Daran, he gives up a run in an inning, but still is able to get the job done as Louis Farland gets a scoreless inning, and Alex Kurloff goes deep for a home run number 10 of the campaign as Jose Suarez as the opener went one and two-thirds innings, allowing a run, and then Davis Daniel gives up that home run. Three runs in total, of course, of four and a third innings, and Jonathan Diaz just can't catch a break. He's got a 10-29 ERA and gave up four runs over the course of two innings, only one of which was earned. David Fletcher had a terrible error out there on the field, and that was very costly to an Angels team that been a just sad year for them. They are one of the worst teams with regards to covering the run line in all the big leagues, but that worst team in being able to cover the run line, the Kansas City Royals, they got it done on Friday. They take down the Houston Astros, 7-5. Cole Raggins, he gives up two runs over the course of six innings. He's got a sub-250 ERA since being traded to the Royals, and in his 11 starts with the Royals, three runs are fierce surrender in all but one of them. Colin Snyder, a scoreless inning. James McArthur gets a five-out save going scoreless there as Jackson Cower trying to make this thing a sweat. Three runs surrendered and a third of an inning going deep off of him. Mr. Chaz McCormick, 21st home run season, and Jose Ray gets his 17th home run season, but Bromber Valdez got 10 strikeouts. Doesn't do a lot of good, though, when you give up seven runs, six of which earn no home runs, but did allow a triple to Bobby Witt Jr. as from there, the bullpen was able to hold down the Fort Ryan Stanek, Rafael Montero, and Hector Neris. All into squirrel sending and Phil Maton. Pair of outs out of the bullpen, but that's something you got to watch out for for the Astros. The starting pitching has been a little bit less than terrific. Right now, the Cardinals' offense looking a little bit less than terrific. They get held to three runs or fewer for their fourth straight game, and they lose the Padres by a count of 42. Dakota Hudson allows just two runs over the course of six innings. Did give up a home run as going deep off of him, Manny Machado, 29th home run season. Then Machado gets Matthew Libertor for his 30th home run season. Libertor gives up two runs in two-thirds of an inning after Drew Verhagen had four outs out of the bullpen scoreless. And for the St. Louis Cardinals, they go just one of ten with men in scoring position. Mason Wynn, who's had some almighty struggles, was able to go deep off of Matt Waldron. That was his second home run in the campaign, but for Waldron, gives up just that home run in five and two-thirds innings. Luis Garcia does... Give up a run while getting an out of the bullpen, but Scott Barlow along Tom Cosgrove, they both get a pair of outs out of the bullpen. Squirrels and Robert Suarez gets the final five outs. He's able to get the W for a San Diego Padres team that has actually been really good on the run line as a favorite because they're able to reduce the juice on all of their tough losses, which, by the way, the Padres still just four games back of that final wild card spot, but for San Diego, it's been Really, really interesting to take a look at them with regards to a run line perspective as currently they are 57 and 58 with that regard. And for the Padres, out of their 76 wins thus far this season, just seven have been by multiple runs. So at the very least, when you lose, yeah, if you take the run line, you're able to reduce some of that juice because they have been big favorites for the longest of times. 
Neither team is going to be a big favorite in this series as a lot of pick em lines with regards to Rangers versus Seattle. And with the Mariners, they fall by a count of 8-5 to five on Friday as for Bryce Miller, did not give the start that the team was looking for. Four and a third innings, gives up six runs off, which were earned, giving up a pair of home runs. Number 32 of the campaign to Corey Seager and then number three to Evan Carter. From there, the bullpen was able to hold it down, but too little, too late as Zane Dunning didn't necessarily get her Dunning himself, giving up four runs in five and a third innings, including a home run to Cal Raleigh. 30th home run of the campaign, but bullpen from there, able to hold it down. Chris Ryan gets it out of the bullpen. Andrew Heaney, two and a third inning scoreless, and a roll to Shaman turns the scoreless inning. Meanwhile, for Seattle, they were able to get a combined three scoreless innings out of Gabe Spire and Isaiah Campbell. Meanwhile, Trent Thornton out, out of the bullpen scoreless, but Taylor Cicado did give up two runs over the course of a third of an inning himself. This game got wild out there in Cleveland as the Guardians get it done over the Baltimore Orioles by a count of 9 to 8. So Baltimore still needing a few wins to be able to clinch that ALE, says for the Orioles, Scene Kramer gives up six runs, only three of which were earned. He was hurt by a pair of errors by Anthony Santander and Gunnar Henderson, their two top home run hitters this season. And for Junior Cano, he blows the game in the ninth inning, giving up two runs in a third of an inning. We have seen some regression with him as it was a fry double that Cost it him. You had for Baltimore, the rest of the bullpen do a relatively solid job. Shatera, Fujinami, D.L. Hall, they both get a pair of outs out of the bullpen scoreless. Ore Lopez, a scoreless inning. Danny Colombo did give up a run while getting it out of the bullpen. And Tyler Wells pitched Wells with two scoreless innings. Meanwhile, for Cleveland, they themselves had a trio of errors in this game as Shane Bieber. In his return back from the injured list, not great. Five runs, four of which were earned, allowed in five innings. James Karinczak, Rinaldo Lopez, both landed scoreless inning, but Daniel De Los Santos, he gave up a run in his inning of work, and Emmanuel Classe, he very nearly yacked away this game himself, giving up two runs over the course of an inning, and somehow, someway, he's the one that's able to get the W. Very unfortunate for the DK Network write-up picks because I was writing up the over in terms of the Atlanta Braves versus Washington Nationals, so if you notice a little bit of a random insert, that's why, but for the Braves, they get it done by a count of 9-6. Really like the over for Saturday. That game has been washed out, but for Atlanta, you did have Darius Vines as a bulk guy give up three runs and three in the third inning, says Charlie Morton. He had to depart after the first inning in this one. Very strange circumstance there. I do want to be checking in on his status as he left with a little bit of an apparent injury as I believe that he was holding his right index finger. So do check in there. Michael Tonkin gives up a run over the course of two innings. Brad Hand gives up two runs in an inning. Meanwhile, Pierce Johnson, pair of outs out of the bullpen, scoreless, and Rossi Iglesias got the save with his scoreless inning. And Ronald Cunha Jr. sewed up a 40-60 season. He went deep off of Patrick Corbin. 40th home run season. Corbin gives one up to Austin Riley as well. 37th home run season. And Marcel Zuna off of Andres Machado gets a 36th home run campaign for Corbin. It's actually been quite profitable for you this year. Not so much on this night, though. Five runs surrendered over the course of four and a third innings. If you've bet Patrick Corbin on the money line in every one of his starts this year for $100, by the way, you're still up north of $900, which I find to be hilarious. But Andres Machado gives up three runs over the course of an inning. Robert Garcia got his scoreless inning. Jordan Weems gives up a run in a relief appearance where he got a pair of outs. And Joe LaSorsa. Two scoreless innings, and then out there in the NL East as well, the Philadelphia Phillies. They get a 5-4 win over the New York Metropolitans as for the Mets, they force it to 10 innings, and then Adam Adovino gives up the unearned run in the 10th inning as Tyler McGill gave up three runs over the course of six innings. JT Rimuto took him deep, 20th home run season. Meanwhile, for Gregory Soto, he gave up the home run that really set this one to extras as Soto gives up a home run to Francisco Lindor, 27th home run season. And Craig Kimbrell, he also allowed a home run to Brett Batten.
batty his ninth homer on the campaign, and a little bit topsy-turvy for Kimbrough, giving up a run over the course of his inning of work. You had Matt Strom turn a squirrel setting, Jeff Hoffman got it out of the bullpen, and Sir Anthony Dominguez squirrel tends to be able to get it done for this team. Meanwhile, for the Mets, you did have along the way Phil Pickford give up an earned run in an inning, and before Adamon Avino couldn't hold it down in the 10th, you did have Drew Smith and Brooks Rayleigh both playing a squirrel setting out of the bullpen, as well as for the Mets, they've actually been one of your top under teams all season long. Rare over for them as right around 57% of their games have gone under the total. And if you are taking a look at the landscape of baseball, over the last seven days, we have been seeing quite a few overs. 42 overs to go along with 34 unders. I believe if my math serves me correctly along the way, we have had something like five pushes as well. Meanwhile, favorites just 42 and 39 straight up over the last seven days. And among those favorites, 12 have failed to cover the run line over the last three days. That's been quite a theme as well. Favorites 217 and 171 ending at just 56% on the money line. Meanwhile, on the run line, 52 of those favorites unable to cover minus one and a half. We have seen north of 55% of games go over in the last three days, by the way. 205 overs to 166 unders. Meanwhile, overall for the season, pretty big 50-50 split with regards to those totals. 1,095 unders, 1,108 overs, just 50.3% through the over. Meanwhile, favorites hang at about 57.5% overall for the season on the money line. 13, 13, and 966 straight up. But among those favorites, 328 have been unable to cover the run line. So that's what we're seeing in baseball right now, and that's what we all got on Friday. Now let's turn it forward to Saturday, and let's take a look at everything that we are seeing in these crazy races for the playoffs with our good friend Ben Wilson, and try to be able to find a little bit of value in the futures market, even though it is late in the season. He's got some good, good angles, and he joins me next right here on the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now for part of the Houston Family Podcast. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. 
Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Are you ready to become a winning sports better? Schedule a call with SBIA to find out how their service can make you a long-term winning player. They've developed an innovative algorithm that maximizes units return, and they are so confident in their system that they offer a money-back guarantee. Sign up by October 31st and get their NBA package at no cost until they reach 10 net units. They treat sports betting like a business. So if you want to learn how to make your sports betting dreams a reality, visit them at SBIA1.com and check them out on social media at SBIA Sports. Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball. This is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. And we're back here, love you, Las Vegas, for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. It is always great to be joined by this man, as Ben Wilson. He does absolutely incredible work over here at Visa. I know he does a great job with a lot of our weekend betting shows with we're going to take a look at what we all get on college football Saturdays, what we all get on NFL Sundays, being able to spot some good edges in game there. I know that he's been doing some work with regards to Lombardi line as well. That just absolutely tremendous show as well for Ben. He also does amazing work when it comes to his play-by-play work, whether it's college basketball, whether it's football, whether it's baseball, you go down the list. He has just an incredible voice, and you're able to find him on the old X at Ben underscore Wilson, another underscore, and then the number one all together. And Ben, always great to have you aboard. Thank you. Greg, best intro man in the business. Here we go. Home stretch of the regular season. It's sort of hard to believe, surreal, that we've reached this point, but just some incredibly fascinating home stretches here just with some of the divisional races going on. I know you, you want to talk about him, but great time to be a baseball better as we've talked about in the past and interesting to see where things go from here because I still believe futures market, you know, there's still some value pretty wide open and there's there's some opportunity for betters here if you've got convictions on teams who are knocking on the door and still have yet to clinch and are going to be basically playing meaningful baseball right down to the last day of the year. I definitely still believe there's some opportunities here with how wide open the season has had the feel of coming in. Absolutely. And really the main race that does have value right now, unless if you really think that the Tampa Bay Rays are going to be able to track down the Baltimore Orioles, that'd be the AL West. Because as we do this show, it's not in the books yet, but the Astros are currently losing to the Royals and the Rangers have gotten off to a nice start on Friday against the Seattle Mariners. And as we record at DraftKings, Rangers are plus 150 to win that AL West. The Mariners are plus 210. The Astros are minus 110. And I think that's just so interesting because the Rangers and the Seattle Mariners, two of their final three series are against one another with Seattle. They've got a series. 
that gets the Houston Astros as well. And it's really a three-way tango. And whoever finishes third in this race, they might be left out of the playoffs altogether. Either they or the Toronto Blue Jays will be, as there is a lot of intrigue when it comes to that American League playoff race because whoever gets in out of those four teams I mentioned – Maybe got a chance to be able to make a run with how wide open it is, in my opinion, in the American League. No question. Well, you look at Seattle, and I would say of those three teams, it's Seattle who has the most fascinating stretcher because you have seven of your ten games remaining against Texas. Recording on Friday, while that for the first of those seven games is underway, that is series against Houston. So this will really stress, and I think and this is basically postseason baseball already for Seattle. So this will tell us a lot about what they are actually made of because. You look at the overall season numbers. It's arguably the best starting pitching rotation in baseball. If you look at full season stats, even if you look down the stretch here, last 30 days where the Seattle starting pitching, you know, top six in overall ERA and on the season, it's just been so, so solid, so consistent, even though they're throwing out all these young pitchers night in, night out, first in overall whip, second in overall ERA. From a starting pitching standpoint, it's because they do a great job of limiting walks, best uh, walk per nine rate in Major League Baseball. So here's the matchup, though, because – You've got a Seattle team that is like it's plus 210. It's still really intriguing to me. A Mariners team that I was talking about investing in you know, back in July. Certainly the numbers have shortened on that, but it's still a position where we talk about things being wide open. And from the Seattle point of view, it's it's all about the hitting. And we were waiting for the offensive surge to happen, kind of like it did toward the back end of 2022. And even though season-long numbers still the 20th best average as far as a starting lineup in baseball, so a group that has struggled to hit for average, but still finds a way to cobble together runs. They've edged up now into top 10 and run scored. And WRC plus last 30 days, a top 10 offense, pretty consistent by and large for Seattle. So I still really like the makeup of this team. The game we can talk about for Saturday, you think about where Logan Gilbert is at, and he's trying to bounce back after a rough start, got touched up against the Dodgers in his, his previous outing. But where Seattle goes from here, they're basically in a position where they're playing postseason baseball. The starting pitching has held up. The relief pitching has also been really good all season. Top five ERA, top 10 in whip, and a group that just makes you swing and miss a ton. A really good K per nine ratio, second best of all. Bullpens, it's now about, all right, can this hitting resurgence be real? And that's what I really want to see. If it proves to be that way, I think it's one thing to want to take a stab on them. I wouldn't hate anybody coming in. Short runway theory, Greg, and looking at a plus 210 shot to win the AOS. But if that hitting holds up against really good pitching down the stretch, against to potentially playoff teams and certainly playoff caliber teams in Texas and Houston, then Seattle's definitely a team I would not at all mind taking a shot on from an ALCS standpoint right now, sitting plus 650, even a World Series standpoint. I'm really that high on this team right now. I know at least at the DraftKings, those World Series odds have been fluctuating. Uh, You can can still get the Mariners around 14 to 1, but it's definitely a team that I believe is within that, that top five, top six ilk as far as actually being able to go ahead and win this thing. And that's the crazy part about this race. They could very easily be on the outside looking in. So that's the sort of margins you're talking about. Yep, I think that the entire American League, it is very wide open with what we're going to be seeing because with the Astros, they've got, in my opinion, right now what is functioning as the best offense in the American League. But the pitching with Christian Avier taking a little bit of setback from Rivalda as a certain round back into form, but he's had his ups and downs as well. That's something interesting to take a look at. And with the Mariners, they strike out a lot. But as you were alluding to that, starting pitching with the Mariners, coupled with a bullpen that they just keep finding pieces like Tyler Cicado, Justin Topa. It's been absolutely ridiculous. So we've got a lot of intrigue there. It's Ben Wilson. He does amazing work over here at East and He's joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Show. And then when it comes to the National League side of things, there's a very clear top two with regards to this entire National League. That would be the Atlanta Braves at number one. 
the LA Dodgers at number two, but we see it time and time again. I just asked the Dodgers how many times they have been the number one seed and have not even been able to, I mean, forget about winning the World Series, but able to get to the World Series. And I do think that with some of these teams that are on the outside of that top two, like the Phillies and the Brewers, they do have a shot to be able to upset either the Braves or the Dodgers because of their pitching staffs and the way that they are built. As much as Atlanta, it's tempting to look at some of the recent results. And you talk about dropping a home series to the Phillies. And I mean, just getting bludgeoned last weekend in Miami, getting swept by the Marlins, you've seen, as you mentioned, there's historical precedent for a team as dominant as Atlanta has been to sort of stumble down the stretch, sleepwalk, knowing their position is already tied up in the postseason. And then that ends up getting you know, borne out once you get into a postseason series. But, you know, I'm not ready to say, OK, this is an Atlanta team that should be on upset alert because you know, by and large, even though the Dolts haven't followed, there have been some you know, late season pitching issues. And really, that's been the big downfall for the Braves. But you know, they're still hitting. If you really take the recent sample size data just hitting wise it's still a group that's it's hitting really really well with a you know near 290 average wrc plus of about 124 so especially for their level and caliber of play it's definitely a slump right now and and there are reasons for that when you when you know exactly when you know what you've already sewed up and there's really little to play for on a day-to-day basis it's easy to get complacent but i'm not worried about atlanta just from the hitting perspective because if like think about this greg if this is where atlanta is at when they are at probably their worst, we've watched them for you know combined stretch this year over a, you know just a week sample size. Then you know that's the bottom, and they're still what sixth, seventh best you know in a WRC plus fashion. But that advanced metric is a really good measurement of overall team offense. I just wonder and worry for some of these pitching rotations. You know, as hot as Milwaukee has been with probably the best top three starting pitching rotation, at least especially over the past month, and you could argue uh, now heading into the postseason. I still worry for these teams who come in, and, and if, if Atlanta's floor is going to be that good, you have to expect that with the type of guys they have. And, you know, talk about the playoff caliber of experience and players for Atlanta who have been in this position before, having tremendous regular seasons and having the pressure to follow up on that and delivering time and again, which we've watched now a couple of postseasons running here for the Braves. I'm not ready to say, all right, this offense is in danger of going into a tailspin and getting shut down by some of the really elite pitching I still believe they will be there. We could see a series go much longer with Atlanta because of the recent statistics as far as the pitching. And that's, I think, the one thing you have to be concerned about. I think you and I are probably born from the same handicapping cloth, Greg, which is that we, we really want to back teams that are trustworthy from a pitching perspective when it comes to October. And, you know, to be fair to Atlanta, like, you know, they're right around where the Pittsburgh Pirates and Oakland A's are at, you know, with their starting rotation the last month or so. And that's certainly not the sort of level you want to be at. So as much as I'm not concerned about the hitting, I do see you could see a, a longer series or two for the Braves just because the pitching has certainly failed to live up to where they were at you know, earlier middle portions of the season. Yet, when all is said and done, I still just believe in the horses they have offensively with that lineup, and they'll be really, really tough to just get past in, in general if we're talking about a seven-game series in the playoffs. Oh, and with the Atlanta Braves, each other top five guys in the lineup yesterday entered into that game with 31 home runs. You now have Ronald Cunha Jr., with a 40-60 season. It's just absolutely incredible what we've been seeing there. And it has been amazing what we've been seeing recently out of a team that we both know very well, the Milwaukee Brewers, as they put up yesterday, and I'm not even kidding here, a 12 spot in the second inning on the Miami Marlins. I would say don't get used to that. But for the Brewers, ever since that series against the Atlanta Braves in late July, that was their last series prior to the month of August. They had just acquired Carlos Santana. This team has been able to rectify some of their hitting woes, averaging more like 
5.3, 5.4 runs per contest. How do you view the Brewers going into the playoffs? Because I do think that this is a bunch that they could be that team that could be a little bit of a wild card in the National League to maybe not dethrone a team like the Braves or the Dodgers. So I do think that against the Dodgers, they actually have a puncher's chance in that one. But I do think that they could be a pest with having Corbin Burns, having Brandon Woodruff, Freddie Peralta firing all cylinders, and an offense that is finally looking competent. I really believe if you're looking to approach just the futures market here going into the postseason, and we are just talking National League specifically, the National League is completely different from the AL, where that you could make a case for just about every team, uh, probably outside the you know, Minnesota Twins, we can have that conversation <laughs> elsewhere if you really want to. But in the NL, it's really, okay, are you buying in on, on, you know, on, on the top level, top echelon, are you buying in on Atlanta, or are you buying in on the LA Dodgers? And if you are, there's probably a case we made. You want to have a, a team deeper down the board. One of the teams in the fight for the, you know, the, the wild card race that has been so tight now for the better part of a month, or I guess the other one, uh, including the Braves and Dodgers, as far as division winners, will be the Milwaukee Brewers. If you're just comparing, let's just say the Phillies and Brewers. Phillies are plus 650, Brewers around 8-1 to one right now to win the NLCS. I think the strategy is you want one of those two teams, and you want one of Atlanta and L.A. at the top, whoever your convictions are on. So I still believe in Atlanta. You know, plus 150 is probably a fair price. It's not like you're getting a great deal or value on that right now, given uh, the type of team they have been and how resourceful they have been able to look hitting-wise all season. And, and we just talked about that even with the brief slump. I don't expect that to slow down. But if I'm picking between Philadelphia or Milwaukee, I think it has to be the Brewers. If you're looking at that Tier 2 team that is a, a deeper shot to get an 8-1 to ticket into an NLCS, that is a completely reasonable outcome to me when you look at where they've been able to get Brandon Woodruff back healthy and pitching really effectively, pitching deep in games. Feels like right now Corbin Burns' early season issues where some of the spin rates were down, he wasn't getting nearly the swing and miss numbers that you know, Brewers fans and betters were accustomed to seeing in the past. Those issues have been figured out, and uh, Freddie Peralta has been durable and consistent, which is not – those are not two adjectives that you would have been accustomed to describing Freddie Peralta in the past. He was much more of a high volatile but prone to – ups and downs and getting injured throughout the course of the year. He's he's in a much better place as he's grown into himself as a third starter for a postseason team. It's about as good as you're getting with Freddie Peralta. So the pitching alone is enough that even with where Milwaukee's lineup had been just so anemic all season and in the bottom five, you know, WRCS plus, WRC plus and most other metrics all year, you now all of a sudden combine that elite, elite pitching at the top and the best closer in baseball in Devin Williams, who's, who's just been simply unreal. And I mean, it kind of reminds me of like the Brad Lidge you know, 2008 run with the Phillies closer, the, the type of season that Devin Williams is putting up with how amazing his changeup has been and how nobody can figure it out, even though they, they know when it's coming. Well, now you combine that with what we're watching you know, last month or so, Brewers have become a top eight offense in, in, advanced metrically. It really comes down to, do you believe in that continuing against elite pitching in the postseason? Yeah, I do believe that Milwaukee, you watch some of these games day to day, Greg, and they're able to go small ball. They're able to find ways to manufacture Rookies like Sal Freelich come up and they work a, a deep count basically every time they're up and you get resurgence out of midseason acquisitions like a Carlos Santana. So if you're making me pick between a tier two team for an NL future, you combine the resurgent hitting and I really have much more trust in the pitching side with Milwaukee than I would with Philadelphia. And pretty easy answer to me. I, I still believe eight to one is a really good number to get as we head into October. When you have that pitching staff and on top of that, keep in mind with the National League, they get a little bit more rest rather than with the American League as well. So you might be able to get an extra start out of whoever you want to have the ball in a game five or a game seven with the Brewers as well. That could be very beneficial for them as well as we do have joining me on the show, Ben Wilson, who does tremendous work here at VSIN. And Ben, 
As we take a look at the slate for Saturday, there are a few games that are off the board, but is there anything that you are going to be keying in on? Because I did joke, I don't think we are going to be seeing a 12 spot in the second inning for the Brewers on Saturday against the Miami Marlins. Brandon Woodruff faced Jesus Lazardo. A little bit of a better pitching matchup than what we saw on Friday, but is there any games that you're going to be taking note of, whether you're going to be betting them or just kicking back and observing in general? At least for the Marlins' uh, point of view, you'd, you'd hope it's a little bit better with your season. Can't get the worse. Theoretically, sure, presumably would not be uh, any worse there. I go back to that AL West divisional race, and you get you know, Logan Gilbert and Jordan Montgomery. The overnight lines that have popped, I expect this to be around a pick and that's pretty much what I'm seeing in the overnight lines. Rangers so, minus 110 to a minus 115 or so on the Rangers. Yep. Yeah, and, and so for Jordan Montgomery as a lefty, it's a really fascinating matchup where you have Montgomery – who is you know a vet but has been really consistent this year, especially since the trade from St. Louis. It has been, I believe, a very underrated piece that Texas has brought in, as much as everybody wants to talk about Max Scherzer being a potential you know, savior for that pitching staff. And then you get Logan Gilbert for Seattle, the righty, and you look at it, you know, he's a younger guy compared to Montgomery, who's much more of a vet. But the two pitchers, the numbers have almost been identical this year, both. Super durable, now over 30 starts, pitching into that 170-75 inning range, could get to 180 in this next start. And, you know, Gilbert, I'll be curious to see how he bounces back. It's a guy who, even though you know, the advanced metrics are pretty fair for both guys, they're each really quality starting pitchers overall, pitching to well under four ERAs. But, you know, Gilbert does have a bit of a higher you know, home run to fly ball ratio this year. And so I always look at pitchers like that, who the, you know, the biggest thing for Gilbert that he gets in trouble with is giving up the long ball. And you look at a percentage that's now over you know 10% on the home run to fly ball rate, definitely over your major league average. Now you pitch at Globe Life Field, definitely more of a pitcher's park. Generally been that way since the park opened. You know, it's interesting with Texas because you have the return to the lineup off IL for both Josh Young and Adalis Garcia. And it's been, what, three, four days now that they've been back. I still wonder just the weight on the two players' shoulders in particular, understanding that this offense has been hitting above its weight all season, right? And now you get those two injured. Team goes into a complete tailspin. They go from leading the division to being on the outside looking into the wild card race. Now those two are back. Now the expectations are, all right, this offense can get back to clicking on all cylinders. They're going to find a way. You can't possibly miss the playoffs if you're Texas when you think about how great they were as that second-best team in the AL most of the season. I still find myself a little bit squeamish in that offense, as, as great as they have been on the season-long numbers. You know, you look at recently for Texas, and it's been much more of a mediocre group over the last month. And even, you know, last week or so, even if you count in the games where they brought back Garcia and Young to the fold, they're basically a league average to slightly above league average offense. So I would be interested in looking at an under you know, eight and a half. I don't think is a bad play whatsoever, because as you talked about earlier, Greg, with Seattle, they do they do tend to swing and miss a lot and have not been super consistent and disciplined with their plate approach. And so it's a tough matchup against a crafty lefty like Montgomery who's had a really solid season and he certainly feels like he's getting stronger as we go late into September so I expect a really tight low scoring game here I'd certainly lean to the Mariners side I wouldn't bet that side it definitely feels like a coin flip either way but I really feel like this does really line up for both pitchers to have some success in a matchup that is going to have that October feel for sure. Yep, and the pressure mounts even more for those AL West teams because we saw the Blue Jays get the job done against the Tampa Bay Rays on Friday as well. And with Hunjin Ryu, he's a little bit of an underdog, but I could very well see the Toronto Blue Jays being able to win that matchup as well. And they're trying to mount as many wins as possible. So regardless of who wins these next two series between the Rangers and the Seattle Mariners, because I do think that that's potentially a loser-leaves-town sort of set with regards to the AL West 
whoever is not able to get the job done there, they might be in a little bit more of murky waters when it comes to being able to get that final wild card. But we're never in murky waters when we have you aboard, Ben. You do amazing work taking a look at so many things at VSIN. You're one of our main men with regards to our live betting coverage over the weekends. You do a great job with all of your play-by-play work. You do a great job taking a look at baseball. I didn't mention it before, but you do a great job on the tennis front as well. So love to get people hey, out. Thanks. <laughs> know it's all on tap for you and how people can follow along on social media and other platforms. Ben underscore Wilson underscore one. I know we've been just been talking baseball, Greg, but for the fall on our Live Bet Saturday and Live Bet Sunday shows at VEASAN, a 3 to 7 Eastern time on Sundays, 4 to 7 Eastern on Saturday. So heavy college football, live betting, and same deal for the NFL on Sunday. So we'll be sprinkling in some baseball as the postseason action starts. And then I'm doing the most recent thing, VEASAN side on the podcast front, doing Josh Applebaum's VEASAN Morning Daily Bets podcast, which you can hear Tuesday and Wednesday morning. So that's uh, those are now Josh's off days, so I'm filling in there. And we will be diving in, especially those midweek shows, into the baseball card as we approach playoff time, now that we're getting there. So a lot of good things coming up on the on the overall uh, sports betting front before the crazy play-by-play stretch gets underway here in about a month or so. And it's so hard to believe we are less than 10 days away from getting postseason baseball. I know that Ben is hyped up for that, and Ben does a tremendous job on so many different fronts. Basketball, football, baseball, tennis, you name it, he does it. And every single time he joins his podcast, lends tremendous insights. Big thanks to Ben Wilson for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Show, now part of the Beast and Family Podcast. Coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this baseball Saturday as we touch them all. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. 
I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Breaking down every game every day in Major League Baseball. This is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. And we're back here in Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson. Now part of the Visa Family Podcast it is always great to have on our man, Ben Wilson. He does terrific work here at VEASAN with all of our live betting coverage over the weekend. I know that from time to time you'll find him on Lombardi Line, but on top of that, he does tremendous work with regards to his play-by-play work, whether that be college basketball, college baseball, indoor football, you name it. He does it, and every single time he joins this podcast, lends tremendous insights. A big thanks to Ben for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game for the betting board for this baseball Saturday as we touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do you note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at GNet underscore 81. We are going in Las Vegas Station or this is where we go with the National League games first, then the American League games, any interleague games, those are going to be at the bottom. 
that'll keep things all nice, neat, clean, and easy. So, without further ado, let's dive in on this first game, and it will be postponed to the next game because 901-902 on the betting board, the Atlanta Braves and the Washington Nationals, it got postponed right around 8 o'clock p.m. Pacific and 11 o'clock p.m. Eastern. It was supposed to be my DK Network right to pick, so I had to move things around. If this sounds like an insert, it is, but we are not going to be getting Braves versus Nationals on Saturday. We will instead get a twin bill on Sunday, so we move on. 903-904 on the betting board. The Chicago Cubs play with the Colorado Rockies. Chris Flexen goes for Colorado, and Marcus Roman is on the bump for the Cubs. This is a total that is off the board because it is a Wrigley Field game, but with regards to a money line, finding the Cubs anywhere between about a two, minus 205 to a minus 220, between plus 170 and plus 198 is your number on the Colorado Rockies. We currently do not have a run line up because we do not have a total up. You need a total in order to have a run line, but that said, looks like we're going to get some pretty heavy wins in this one. 10 miles per hour starting out blowing out, and then they're going to be blowing more inward as the game wraps up, but I do think that we are going to be having the win hurting these pitchers a little bit in this one, so I did some I total to wear a 9 or less. I'm going to be taking a look at an over, a 9.5 or higher to the under with Marcus Stroman. They've actually trotted him out there in a little bit of relief over his last few weeks or so. He spent a long time on the injured list as he got off to an absolutely amazing start to the season and went straight down the toilet bowl from there. This will be his first start since May 31st. And if you just take a look at that final start that he was having in May, it was just not great to say the least. He had given up four plus runs. In five out of his final six starts, actually six out of his final seven starts before landing on the injured list. Had a 220 ADRA towards the middle of June. Things had just really fallen out of sorts there in the month of July at a 911 ERA. So I don't know what to expect out of Marcus Stroman. I don't think that it's going to be great as he hasn't been a nice strikeout guy all season long, only getting about eight strikeouts per nine innings to three walks per nine. Was doing a good job of limiting our contact, but. That might be enough even with the wind in this ordeal because the Colorado Rockies just aren't ripping the cover off the ball. You've got Ryan McMahon who's been able to give you 23 home runs and then from there Elias Diaz, Ezekiel Tovar, Nolan Jones between about 14 to 17 home runs. But this is a very light inning Rockies team that just has not been able to get anything going on the road. Sadly, their home and road splits are actually better this year than they were last year. Last year, they were putting up like 5.6 runs per game at home and three runs per game on the road. A little bit more respectable this year, putting up about 5.2 runs per game at home, more like 3.7 runs per game on the road, but still, very demonstrative numbers. You've got Charlie Blackman and Chris Bryant back to full, but they haven't done a whole heck of a lot this year either, especially in the power department. And when it comes to the Chicago Cubs, just have a group that one through nine, these guys are able to move the line. We've been seeing them having a little bit of a rough go of it the last few weeks, but perhaps that win that they got yesterday is going to be able to help them out as everyone in the starting lineup yesterday all ended the game with at least a 310 on base, really other than Patrick Wisdom. But that's pretty much what you could expect moving forward out of the team as with Wisdom, Cody Bellinger, Ian Abb, Dansby Swanson, Say Suzuki, when he's out there, Jameer Kendallari, all these guys do provide between about 19 to 26 home runs. You have had Cody Bellinger be the main man for this team, about a 360 on base, hitting above a 300, but really a hole is greater than the sum of its parts team that now has Nico Horner back in the fold after he was dealing with a little bit of ailment. You got a Rockies bullpen as well. That since the beginning of the month of July, 
Dead last in the big leagues with regards to bullpen ERA. It's hovering right around about a 7. Daniel Bard since the All-Star break, north of a 9 ERA. Jake Bird, north of a 6 ERA since the break. Tyler Kinley, north of a 5-5, along with Matt Cook, Justin Lawrence. I mean, all these guys have just fallen straight down the toilet bowl. And for the Chicago Cubs, Ed Barrelsley being on the injured list has been hurting the team a little bit. But you get Brad Boxberger back to fold. Jose Quas. He's been having a little bit of a rough go over the last few weeks, but since coming over to the Cubs, a sub-3-5 ERA, William Merriweather, Daniel Palencia, these guys have been able to do a solid job of holding down the Ford end. For Chris Flexen, just has not been great for him all season long. In his last start against the Chicago Cubs, it wasn't bad, but I remember watching that game, and the Cubs lost like three outs on the base pads because they were being a bunch of knuckleheads, so he was very lucky to only give up three runs in that start because he gave up nine minutes, pair of walks, and... Overall, for Curtis Flex, and he's given up uh, 2.3 home runs per nine innings, 3.3 walks per nine, 719 ERA. Fielding independent is more in the six range and on the road this year. North of a nine ERA. Not great to say the least. Now, I do think that Chris Flexen is a little bit better than a north of 70 ERA pitcher, but I still think that he gets lit up along with that bad bullpen. So, nine or less looking at the over nine and a half prior to the under with the Cubs. Going to be one to lay up to a minus 120 on the run line as I set their money line more at a minus 229. 905, 906 on the bang board. The New York Mets at the red face off against the Philadelphia Phillies. Zach Whelan and Dylan Wheeler goes for the Phillies and Jose Quintana is on the bump for the Mets. The Mets are underdogs of between plus 154 to a plus 166, minus 177 to minus 185. Your number on the Phillies, 7.5 is the total. Over and under anywhere between minus 105 to a minus 115. And if you're looking to lay a run and a half with the Phillies, you're able to get that right around about a plus 115. And I made my money line a minus 184 on the Phillies, but was willing to take a plus 105 or greater on that run line. So I am going to be taking a look at that run line with the Philadelphia Phillies. I do think that you're going to be able to get another really nice start out of Zach Wheeler, someone who has been posting up an ERA of a 363, but fielding dependent is more around a three. He's been really, really good this year, giving up one home run per nine innings, giving up 1.85 walks per nine innings. His strikeouts per nine rate is 10. I have really been floored as what we've seen out of Zach Wheeler. Has given up three-plus runs in seven out of his last 15 starts, but still, I take a look at Zach Wheeler. I think it's a little bit of a matter of circumstance. If he just continues to pitch like this, good things are going to come for him. Meanwhile, for Jose Quintana, it's really been interesting to watch him this year because He's not a really dominant swing and miss guy or anything like that. It's not like he does a tremendous job of limiting walks. He just does a good job of inducing soft contact. 6.2 strikeouts at 3.3 walks per nine innings. 3.02 ERA, 3.38 fielding, depending, giving up two home runs at 65 and two-thirds innings across 11 starts. He's given up a grand total of five runs over the course of his last four starts. Team is just two and two in those starts, though, because... His lineup has not really been able to help him out on top of that. This has been a Mets bullpen that has been a mess all season long. You've had a pair of guys in Brooks, Rayleigh, Adam Bonifino. They'll give you a sub-3-5 ERA, but when you get into the real schlubs of this team, I mean, they pick up now Peyton Badenfield. Congratulations there, but likes of Trevor Gott, Phil Bickford, Reed Garrett, Grant Hartwig, all these guys posting up north of a 4-3 ERA. Drew Smith has been all over the place. That's where things really get rough for this team and for the Philadelphia Phillies. You've been able to get a nice balance of power from this team recently because Kyle Schwarber is your main man. 45 home runs at the leadoff spot. I believe he still has as many home runs as he does singles this season. Buck 96 batting average, but a 344 on base, so that is certainly going to play. But 
I mean, with Trey Turner, he's been able to give you a double-figure amount of homers over the last three days. After just three home runs in his first 58 games of the season, Bryce Harper in his last 61 games has been able to supply 16 home runs. You've got Alec Bohm, JT Muto, both between 18 and 19 home runs. Bohm has been able to about a 280. Bryce Sott, not a power guy, but does a good job being able to get on base. Even Johan Roas hitting a 300. So when these guys are going yard, like a Nick Cassianos with 28 home runs, they're not for solo shots. They're for three-run homers. They're for two-run homers. And with the Phillies, they also do a nice job of being backup wheeler with one of the better bullpens in the National League. You've had Jeff Hoffman and Long Matt Strong be able to supply a sub-3-5 ERA. Jose Alvarado being back with his sub-2 ERA. It's big as well. Trenthy Dominguez has been a little bit hot and cold. He has been posting up north of a 4 ERA over the last 30 days. But all in all, I do like the way that this bullpen has rounded into form. Craig Kimbrell right now is pitching really well. And they go up against the Mets team that has been a little bit of an all-or-nothing team all season long. For the Mets, this is one of the worst batting average team that you're going to find in the big leagues. And the big thing for the Mets is the bottom of the fold is really letting them down. You've got the likes of Rafael Ortega, Tim Castro... Brett Batty, Daniel Mendick, Francisco Alvarez, Omar Narvaez when he's out there. These guys have been hitting below 215 now. With Locastro and Ortega, they actually have respectable on-base percentages, but neither of these guys hit for any power. Combine two home runs when you've got that sort of a batting average, not a lot of power whatsoever. Makes it about as useful as a poopy flavor lollipop. Jonathan Arusa, 203 on base. I mean, just ghastly bad with some of these guys in the lineup. Now, Pete Alonso on the road, about a 350 on base. He's slowed down 45 home runs. He's certainly been able to do his part. You've had Francisco Lindor drop with regards to some of his slugging and some of his home run power, but at the same time, he has been able to do a good job giving you north of a 350 on base since the All-Star break as well. So with the Mets, it has been a little bit of a hodgepodge with regards to this lineup. I do think that Kitana is going to be able to go out there and give a solid start, but with how much contact he does give up, I think that that's going to be a little bit of a problem in this ordeal, and the Mets, just in general, have not done a great job with their offense. So I did set my total at an 8.1, looking at the over, and with the Phillies at a plus 105 or higher, going to be willing to lay a run and half with them. 907, 908 on the betting board. The Miami Marlins play us the Milwaukee Brewers. Brandon Woodruff goes for the crew. Jesus Lizardo is on the bump for Miami. Miami is an underdog of between plus 104 to plus 110. Any between minus 114 to minus 125, your number on the Brewers. Seven is the total. The over is minus 120, and the under is even. I think we went a little bit too far in this total. I set it at a 7.4, so I am going to be taking a look at this total over. And with the Brewers, made them a very slight minus 106 favorite, so anything above a plus 106, I'm going to be willing to dive in on Miami. And the biggest reason why is that Asa Lizardo is just a completely different pitcher at home rather than on the road. On the road for Lizardo, 486 ERA. He's been giving up right in the neighborhood about 1.4 home runs per nine innings on the road. At home, he's giving up more like one home run per nine innings. He drops that ERA to 296. And he's been rounding into a little bit of better form recently as well. It's been a little bit hot and cold with regards to Lizardo, but for his last four starts, giving up eight runs over the course of 23 innings. That's something that is going to fly going up against the Brewers lineup that ever since late July, they have been significantly better. Going into yesterday, for the Milwaukee Brewers, they had been able to average right around 5.2 runs per contest since their last series in the month of July against the Atlanta Braves when they picked up Carlos Santana and Mark Hanna. And they put up a big number on the Miami Marlins yesterday. I mean, boy... That was not great, to say the least, for the Miami Marlins, but I do think that they're going to be coming back to earth 
just a little bit. Getting Christian Yelich back in the fold for the Brewers, that is very helpful. He and William Contreras, both right around about a 362 to a 365 on base. And Mark Hanna has a similar on base as well with Yelich, William Contreras, both of these guys. Below 20 home runs, but north of 15. Canna's been giving you more like 11 home runs, but Sal Freelich, Andrew Marisario, a pair of young guys being able to move line, especially Freelich, hitting about a 275, 375 on base. That's big because it pushes the slubs like Joey Weimer, Bryce Terang, guys like this out of the fold. And Josh Donaldson all of a sudden is doing something for the Brewers. I mean, it's absolutely remarkable to find. For the Miami Marlins, they've got Luis Arias back in the fold as he's been dealing with a few ailments. And he's now hitting north of a 325 once again over the last 30 days. Had a big-time funk in the month of August. That's big for them. You've got the likes of Jazz Shislam, Jake Berger, along with Josh Bell. These guys have got some functional power, all being able to give you at least 18 home runs, hitting between about a 242 250 each. And for Berger, since he's come over to Miami, Zombies percentage has been north of a 335. He's been able to pound out north of 30 home runs this season. Brian De La Cruz, right around 20 bombs for he. And he and AC Sanchez are both hitting between about a 255 to a 260. So that's helpful for the team along with Ori Soler being able to pound out the bombs that he is able to. Now for the Miami Marlins, they had to throw a lot of bullpen pieces yesterday after Brian Oing and Stephen Okert as the bulk guys. Well, they didn't offer a lot of bulk to say the least. That was not great. And for the Miami Marlins, this has been a pretty rough bullpen. David Robertson was someone that you were banking on. And he's got north of a 5-5 ERA since he joined this team. They are looking at Matt Moore, who, when he was with the LA Angels, had a sub-250 ERA. He's been up and down over the last few weeks. Tanner Scott, George Soriano, Andrew Nardi. And we will give you a sub-3-5 ERA. And for the Brewers, you do have a fearsome foursome with the seam. Devin Williams, the closer, along with Hobie Milner, Abner Uribe, and Joel Piams have been able to give you sub-2-5 ERA. J.B. Bukakis has been solid as well. And then when it comes to Brandon Woodruff, if you look at the raw numbers, he has been absolutely sensational. But there are some warning signs that a little bit of regression might be coming in from for Brandon Woodruff. He's given up two runs or fewer in all but one of his starts as far this season. But I mean, 352 fielding impairment compared to a buck 89 ERA. That is a little bit concerning. 1.2 home runs per nine innings allowed. Now he is getting 10 strikeouts to two walks per nine innings as well. But I do think that we're certainly going to see the Brewers cool down a little bit with their bats after what we saw yesterday. So here to seven. I think that it's a little bit too low still. I think that we're not going to see the slugfest that we did yesterday, but going to be taking a look at the over. And with Miami Marlins, I do think that they are going to be able to get to Woodruff at right around a plus 110 like I'm seeing pop up at Caesars. Going to be willing to take a look at the fish to go along with that over. 909-910 on the betting board. The Pittsburgh Pirates hit the road face off against the Cincinnati Reds. Yes, we are in a Cincinnati and they're on to uh, Connor Phillips getting the start for them. Meanwhile, it's old undecided who's going to be on the bump for the Buckos. So this is a game that is presently off the board. But I'm thinking that we're going to get Luis Ortiz in this ordeal. Thought we were going to get Luis Ortiz yesterday, to be honest with you. And if it is Ortiz versus Phillips, I'd be saying the Reds more around about a minus 150 to a minus 155 favorite. And a total to wear a 9.5 or less. I'm going to be taking a look at the over and a 10 or higher to the under. Exact number for Phillips versus Ortiz is minus 155, subject to just a tad bit of change, especially if we don't get Luis Ortiz. Meanwhile, for Connor Phillips, he was able to get a lot of swings and misses at the minor league level, and thus far, ever since getting promoted to the big league level. 17 strikeouts and three starts, that is something that you do like to see, and ever since that rough first start against Seattle, not as bad 
Five runs surrendered in 11 innings against the Twins and the Detroit Tigers. He's clearly a little bit of a raw guy. Someone that in a few years I think could be very beneficial for the Cincinnati Red Seam. And when it comes to the purposes of this start, being able to go up against the Pittsburgh Pirates, I think is going to be very beneficial for him because he is someone that I think is going to be able to fan quite a few of these not-so-great Pittsburgh Pirates hitters. And it's a Pittsburgh Pirates lineup that doesn't do the world's greatest job of being able to take their base either. For the Buccos, just have a lot of guys out there that they don't provide power. You've been able to have Brian Reynolds slug out north of 20 home runs. He's providing about a 330 on base. And we do have Jack Swinisky being able to provide a little bit more power as well. He's up to 25 home runs over the last 30 days, about a 350 on base. A lot of his post-All-Star break performances have been less than terrific, but starting to heat up once again. But then you've got Andy Rodriguez, Henry Davis, a pair of Highly touted prospects have not been able to develop. Sub 300 on base. Both of these guys hitting below a 315. Someone like Jay Wan Bay is hitting about a 235, but his on base percentage is a 300. No pop in his bat whatsoever. Brian Hayes has been able to give you right around about 15 or so home runs, but and they're looking to he and Miguel Andujar in the heart of that lineup. That's not necessarily a place where you want to be in for the Cincinnati Reds. We have seen their lineup really go down the toilet bowl as well as guys overall for the season like Jonathan India along with TJ Friedel being able to provide about a 330 to a 340 on base overall been solid, but they've dealt with injuries and in the second half of the season we've seen their production tail off quite a bit. You do have Christian Encarnacion Strand that ever since the All-Star break he's been able to give you nine home runs that's been solid, but he's tied for most home runs post-All-Star break with Matt McClain who's out of the fold. Joey Votto, he's only giving you about a 300 on base. Has been able to give you a home run every about 15 or so at bats, but need a little bit more there. L.A. De La Cruz with a sub 285 on base since the All-Star break. That is rough as well. And for the Pirates, they don't have the world's worst bullpen as well. David Benar has been able to give you about a 2 ERA all season long. And then you've got the likes of Ryan Baruki, Hunter Stratton being able to give you a sub 3 ERA along with Carmen Moldazinski. So you do have some good top-line arms. For this team, meanwhile, with the Cincinnati Reds, Alexis Diaz has been one of the better closers in the big leagues this year. And then you've got likes of a Ian Gabo, Lucas Sims, Alex Young being able to give you a sub-360 ERA. I do think that Phelps going to be able to go out there, do a solid job against the Pirates. And if you do get Luis Ortiz, give it up right around five walks and only getting about six strikeouts for nine innings. I think that that could be able to help out this Reds lineup. So looking at a nine and a half or less to the over 10 or higher to the under. And if you get Ortiz versus Phillips, willing to go minus 155 on the Reds, but Ortiz not confirmed. That's why I didn't go in on him as much. So subject to a little bit of change if we don't get Mr. Ortiz in the fold as we go to 9-11-9-12 on the betting board. The St. Louis Cardinals hit the road faceoff against the San Diego Padres. Nick Martinez goes for the pods and the Woodford. Jake Woodford is on the bump for St. Louis. Nine is the total. Under is minus 115. The over is minus 105 with San Diego. They are between minus 163 to minus 170. Favorites anywhere between plus 140 and plus 158 is your number on the Cardinals. And with the Cardinals, I did need at least a plus 166 to be able to dive in here. If you're taking a look at the run line of the Padres, getting that between plus 120 and plus 125. Needed at least a plus 118 to fire in, but I'm going to be willing to do so. For Nick Martinez, it's just been an all-over-the-place year for him. Started out as a starter, went to the bullpen, now he's resurfacing as a starter, and overall for the campaign. For Martinez, 373 ERA, 405 on base, 8.5 strikeouts, 3 walks per 9 innings, a textbook 
average pitcher with regards to the big league level. Really not doing anything that would leave you impressed. Not really doing anything that would make you think that he's a fade or anything like that. He's just sort of there. And if you take a look at his splits as a starter versus being a reliever, he has made seven starts this far this season. 294 ERA for Mr. Martinez. Meanwhile, 412 ERA coming out of the bullpen. So he's actually been far better when he has been in a role of a starter. And I don't understand why they did relegate him from the starting fold as well. So that's something that I did think was curious. Meanwhile, for Mr. Woodford, has always been someone that has been a pitch-to-contact guy. Six strikeouts and four walks per nine innings this year. This is going to be his first appearance in quite a while. Last time we saw him since a little bit of a long appearance against the Milwaukee Brewers about a week or so ago. He was pitching in late June against the Houston Astros and got destroyed in that appearance. So it has been an all-over-the-place year for him as well. So overall, he's got a 531 ERA and a 595 fielding advantage because of those walks, lack of strikeouts, giving up 1.7 home runs per nine innings, just has yet to really develop. And it doesn't get much better for the St. Louis Cardinals because you just don't have a bullpen that really offers much of anything for this team. For the Cardinals, Ryan Elsley has a sub-3 ERA, and pretty much everyone else in this bullpen has an ERA that is north of four. When you get into the guys like Drew Verhagen, Kyle Leahy, Andrew Suarez, guys like this, they provided absolutely nothing for him for the Padres. You do have Tom Cosgrove, Josh Hader being able to supply a sub-2 ERA. Luis Garcia in the second half of the season has been able to give you a sub-3 ERA as well. For the Padres, they've been about a league average team with regards to their bullpen ERA. And then you take a look at the lineup itself, and the top end is pretty solid. Juan Soto, Manny Machado, a combined 60 home runs this year. Now Manny Machado currently dealing with injury, and his season, it's one of those things where he might be shutting it down a little bit early once the Padres get eliminated. As of right now, he is still in the fold for the team, but something that you do want to be monitoring. But the biggest thing for the Padres is getting some bottom-end production because we have seen the schlubs, like when they had him, Rudnett Odor, Brandon Dixon, Trent Grisham, Brent Sullivan, Matt Carpenter, Gary Sanchez is currently injured. All these guys in a 218 or lower. All these guys really, aside from Grisham, giving you a sub-305 on base percentage. That has been an issue for the team. Andrew Rosario is hitting a 231. He's also got a 231 on base. So that's been a little bit of an issue. You do have the likes of Austin Kim along with Xander Bogarts who have been able to move the line. They've got functional power. And then for the St. Louis Cardinals, this has been a lineup that has been very much hampered over the last few games. They've got the Nolans both dealing with injury. Nolan Arenado along with Nolan Gorman are both on the 10-day injury list. Both gave me 25-plus home runs. Wilson Gutierrez has been shut down. Alec Burleson has been shut down. So this is a pretty unrecognizable team. They've got their young guy, Mason Wynn, who's right now getting at bats. He has not been able to get on base at all. Jose Fermin, he's got a little bit to work on. You just don't have a lot of power with any of these guys, really other than Richie Palacios. He's been able to give you five home runs in his first 60 at-bats, like what I'm seeing there. So if Paul Goldschmidt, Lars Nupar being able to give you north of a 350 on base with some functional power out of both of those guys. But all in all, it is a St. Louis Cardinals team that they're rough with regards to their lineup right now. So it is a little bit of an interesting circumstance. Certainly do have much more faith in the Padres in this ordeal. And I just don't know if the Cardinals are going to be able to hold up their end of the bargain with regards to the total with having so many guys out of the fold. So I did set my total more around an 8.6. 
Going to be taking a look at the under. And with the Padres, we'll take a plus 120 or greater laying around an F with them. 9-13, 9-14 on the bank board. The San Francisco Giants are on the road facing off against the LA Dodgers. Clayton Kershaw goes for the Dodgers. Old Undecided is on the bump for San Francisco. So this is a game that is currently off the board. I'm thinking that you're getting Ross Stripling as a bulk guy. Who the opener is going to be, that's a little bit of TBD. But if you do get Ross Stripling going up against Clayton Kershaw... I have this one to where I'd be willing to lay up to about a minus 118 on that Dodgers run line. Set the minus 218 or so on the money line. So we'll need at least about a plus 220 to be able to take a shot on the San Francisco Giants. For Clayton Kershaw, you do want to be taking note of his home and road splits for Kershaw on the road. It's been a little bit of a struggle for him. He's been posting up a little bit north of a 3 ERA, but at home, Clayton Kershaw, sub 2 ERA. This is a Clayton Kershaw that we all know and love. And the Dodgers... They have clearly been trying to protect him all season long to have him firing all cylinders during the postseason. As for Kershaw, he's only pitched 16 innings over the last three days. So, very well rested coming into this one. Buck 73 ERA at home thus far this season. Kershaw has been giving up around 1.3 home runs per nine innings when he's been at home. But he's also been giving up only about 1.6, 1.7 walks per nine innings as well. Opponents are a buck 86 off of him when he is at home. Now, with the Dodgers, do note that they could very easily pull Clayton Kershaw after about five or so innings, but he's backed up by what is by far the best bullpen in the big leagues over the last two to two and a half months as well. As for the LA Dodgers, they've got a bullpen area that hovers right around about a 255 to 260 since the beginning of the month of July. Nobody else has a sub three ERA. You've had a big three with this team. Evan Phillips, Bruce Sarter, Gratterall, Caleb Ferguson, all being able to supply a sub-275 ERA. And Ryan Brazier, since he's come over from Boston, he's been able to give you a sub-2 ERA in Los Angeles. You've been able to get good production as well. Out of Shelby Miller, who's back in the fold, he's been able to post up a sub-2 ERA. Wouldn't be surprising to see perhaps a little bit of a piggyback with someone like perhaps Ryan Yarbrough filling a few innings as well. It's been good with the LA Dodgers. And they get to go up against a Giants team that has had their struggles had the plate ever since the All-Star break. They were able to get a little bit more online when it came to their series against the Colorado Rockies last week, but that's eh, against Colorado Rockies. This is against the LA Dodgers. This is in Los Angeles and not at Coors Field as well as ever since the All-Star break. The Giants hitting at 226 as a collective with a 304 on base. Wilmer Flores, once again, he doesn't get slander for this. He's been hitting darn near 300 with 14 home runs since the All-Star break. You've got two other guys that have given you north of four home runs since the All-Star break. Lamont Wade Jr. and J.D. Davis. But with Davis, he's been giving you a sub-295 on base as he, along with Austin Slater, Patrick Bailey, Blake Sobel, Brandon Crawford, all these guys have a sub-295 on base since the break. And then with the L.A. Dodgers, you have to face off against Mookie Betts, Max Muncie, a pair of guys with 75-plus home runs between the two of them. You've really been able to have Freddie Freeman tattoo the ball as well. 26 home runs north of a 400 on base with the LA Dodgers. They are number one in the big leagues with regards to walks drawn on a per at basis. James Outman has now been able to give you 20 plus home runs. He's had a nice second stanza for the season. And J.D. Martinez was someone else that was dealing with a little bit of ailment as well. He has come back and he has come back in full force entered into yesterday with four home runs and nine RBI in his last four games. So I do think that we should be seeing some LA domination in this one. If you do get Ross Stripling, he's been posting up an ERA north of a 4-5. It's been better towards the second half of the season, but he's probably not going to be able to give you a whole bunch of length as well. And oftentimes we have seen the Giants utilize an opener for him. Now, to the credit of the Giants, since the beginning of the month of May, they've been 
in the top two in baseball with regards to bullpen ERA, having both of the Rogers brothers along with guys like John Brebbia, Luke Jackson, Camilla Duvall, your closer, Ryan Walker, all being able to give you a sub-325 ERA, but this is a circumstance where in something like Kershaw versus Stripling, we'll be saying the Dodgers had a minus-118 on the run line. We need at least a plus-220 to be able to take a shot on the Giants on that money line then. On the total, 8.5 or less, looking at the over 9 or higher to the under. 9.15, 9.16 on the betting board. The Minnesota Twins are going to be playing us to the LA Angels. Kenny Rosenberg is on the bump for the Halos, and it's Sonny Gray who's going to be on the bump for Minnesota. Minnesota is a favorite of anywhere between minus 190 to minus 195, and between plus 160 to a plus 180 is your number on the Halos. 7.5 is the total over and under anywhere between minus 105 to a minus 115, and with regards to the Angels, I set them as sizable underdogs once again in this one. I need at least a plus 243 to be able to take a shot. I am very willing to lay it with Sonny Gray and company. For Rosenberg, I actually do think that there's a little bit of upside with them. I like what I've seen in his few starts. I do think that there might be a little bit of something to build around. The problem is he is surrounded by schlubs right now. As for the LA Angels, this bullpen is just deplorable. Matt Moore was relatively their best reliever all season long. They DFA'd slash put him on waivers. They got rid of so many of these other guys like Ronaldo Lopez. So now they're stuck with Aaron Loop. Carlos Aceves is north of five ERA since the All-Star break. You've had Jose Soriano give you a few okay innings. But for Rosenberg, 548 ERA, 509 fielding independent, giving up about four and a half walks per nine innings. Only getting about seven punch outs per nine innings in his actual starts because... He's gotten two starts, and then there was a circumstance against the Detroit Tigers in which there was an opener thrown for him. He hasn't been horrible. Three runs of fear given up in two of them, and the one time in which he got lit up, that's when they had the opener for him against the Detroit Tigers, giving up five runs in five innings. So I think they decided, yeah, you know what, we're not going to be trying that anymore. But with Sonny Gray, he's been one of the best pitchers at being able to keep the ball in the yard all season long, giving up about 0.3 to 0.4 home runs per nine innings. He's getting right around nine strikeouts per nine innings of walks. That's sometimes been a little bit of an issue for Sonny Gray, but has really been able to rectify those as he has given up three runs or fewer in all but three of his 30 starts as far as this season. 277 home ERA on the road that goes to about a 292 is 284 ERA. is back to by fielding independent. That's right in the neighborhood of three as well. So he's been able to do a nice job holding down the four day. He's backed up by a bullpen that isn't amazing, but it is far better than that of the LA Angels as You've had guys like Cody Funderburg, Griffin Jacks, Yohan Doran be able to give you a sub-3-5 ERA. Emilio Pagan has been halfway decent. And for this Twins team, they had about 20 points higher with their batting average at home rather than on the road. And they've really done a nice job of being able to provide offense here in the second half of the season since the All-Star break in the top four in the American League with regards to runs per game. Now their main home run hitters, Carlos Correa, Michael A. Taylor, Max Kepler, Joey Gallo, all between 18 and 22 home runs. Really, none of them, aside from Kepler, do a great job of getting on base. As none of them, other than Kepler, north of a 312 on base. But it's been the young guys that have come up that have been incredible for this team. Ryan Jeffers, Royce Lewis, Edward Julian, Donovan Solano. Solano, obviously, not a young guy. But I mean, they've all been able to give you at least a 365 on base. Royce Lewis, he's been able to supply 15 home runs at about 215 at-bats with four grand slams. It's been incredible to watch him. Or a Polanco since he's gotten back in the fold. He's been able to give you about a 340 on base. He's been able to provide a double-figure amount of homers. 
Matt Walner is giving you about a 350 on base as well for the LA Angels. You got Brandon Drury, who's been able to give you a double-figure amount of homers. He's right around 20 bombs, hitting a little bit north of a 250. Noah Chennault, he's been able to give you a little bit of an on-base percentage, about a 290 batting average. Past these guys, and Randall Gritchick, who's still giving you an honest effort. There's really not much of a note. Jared Walsh has been washed up this year. They're looking at Joe Adele, Zach Neto, some of their young guys to be able to develop, but you don't get a lot of power out of these guys. They've had a tough time moving the line. I think that's just a really rough circumstance here for the Angels. I was willing to lay up to a minus 125 with regards to this Minnesota Twins run line. Currently find that at a plus number. Sign me up there. And with regards to this total, I did set mine at an 8.3. Don't think that the Angels are going to score a lot, but I do think that the Twins get to Rosenberg in this terrible bullpen. So looking at the run line of the Twins, I'm going to be taking a look at the over 917-918 on the betting board. The Detroit Tigers on the road facing off against the Oakland Triple A's. As Joe Boyle is going to be getting the start for Oakland, and it is currently to be determined who's going to be on the bump for the Tigers. I am thinking that we are going to be getting Joey Wentz on the bump for the Tigers, and if this is the case, I'd be making the Tigers a favorite of a minus 127 with a total of an 8.8. So, ain't for less going to be taking a look at the over, a 9 or higher to the under, willing to lay up to a minus 126 with the Tigers. Would need at least a plus 128 to be able to take a shot on the old Oakland Triple A's as Joe Boyle making his second career start as he did so about a week or so ago for the Oakland A's in that one. They gave him three innings, so he's probably going to be some sort of like an opener plus when he was down at the minor league level. He was able to go a little bit more of a full allotment, and he was Rick the Wild Thing Vaughn while he's in both the Reds and the Oakland A's organization, mostly with the Cincinnati Reds. So he was able to avoid the PCL. That's why he's giving up a half home run per nine innings, because if he was with the Las Vegas Aviators all season and he was giving up a half home run per nine innings, I'd be like, yeah. We might want to be buying some serious stock here on our good friend, Mr. Boyle, but that is not the case. And I mean, 13 strikeouts per nine innings is great. Seven walks per nine innings this year as well. So he can knock himself out of a start very, very easily. And then on the flip side for Joey Wentz, he has been a mess all season long. He's posting up an ERA that is suffering in that neighborhood of about a six. And he's been giving up quite a few walks. And just has been giving up a lot of hard contact in general. That is the biggest thing with Joey Wentz. Now, he's not confirmed. If you do get someone not named Joey Wentz, that could actually be a little bit of an upgrade for the team. Because with Wentz, he is giving up about two home runs per nine innings. So, you do have your issues there with the Tigers. I view their bullpen as being a little bit better than that of the Oakland A's since the beginning of the month of July. The A's bullpen is about... 0.2 points worse than that of the Detroit Tigers. So it's actually somewhat comparable with regards to the Oakland A's. You've been able to get Trevor May, Danny Jimenez to be able to give you some solid innings. And then Jason Foley, Tyler Holden on the flip side for the Detroit Tigers. Sub 3-5 ERA. Been able to have Alex Lang be able to come to the forefront a little bit more as well for this team. But with the Oakland A's, they just can't hit at home. Now, this is going to be more of an afternoon delight game, which means that the Marine layer is not going to be out. That should be able to help out. A's hitters just a little bit, but for someone like a Brent Rooker, he's been able to give you 28 home runs this season. Just 10 of them have come at home. Someone like a Ryan Noda, he's got north of a 400 base when he's on the road at home. That drops by about 50 or so points. Zach Galoff has been able to do a very solid job as he's been able to pound out about 13 home runs and 230-some out at bats. So he's been a really nice cog for the team, but all in all, you've got a lot of struggles when it comes to this Oakland A's lineup with the likes of Tony Kemp, Lawrence Butler, Kevin Smith, 
Nick Allen. You just go down the list of guys. They're in sub-220 for this team. Tyler Soderstrom has done nothing as well. And then for the Tigers, Gary Carpenter, Jake Rogers have both been able to give you 20 home runs apiece. Spencer Torkelson, he's up to 29 home runs. And you're finally finding guys to be able to move the line. Miguel Cabrera is on his farewell tour. He and Andy Apanez are both hitting about a 255. Not going to give you a ton with regards to base percentage, but you know what? You'll take what you can get. You do want to be taking out of guys like Zach Short, Javi Baez, Carson Kelly, Tyler Nevin, guys like this that are in a 220 or lower. Jake Rogers is one of those guys as well, but I do think that for Joey Wentz going up against the unproven Joe Boyle, he should be a little bit of a favorite as the Tigers just surround him with a little bit more. So if you do get Wentz versus Boyle, we'll be setting the Tigers at a price to where I'd be willing to lay up to a minus 126 plus 120 or higher looking at the A's and then in after less of the over 9 or higher to the under if you get a start or not name wins. Probably would upgrade the Tigers a little bit. Would be a little bit dependent upon the circumstance. So, 919-920 on the bank board. The Tampa Bay Rays make playoffs to the Toronto Blue Jays. Sunjin Ryu is on the bump for the Jays. And Zach Little hopes to come up big for the Rays. The Rays are a favorite of anywhere between minus 125 to a minus 142. Anywhere between plus 115 to a plus 122 is your number on Toronto. Eight is a total over and under are both at minus 110. And with the Jays, I was willing to take a plus 118 or higher with them. For Little, he's been able to do a very good job of providing a very little amount of walks. As he's giving up less than a walk per nine innings. It's been absolutely incredible to take a look at him and his command, but he does give up a lot of general contact for one, and he does give up quite a bit of hard contact, giving up 1.5 home runs per nine innings. Can't say that I've ever seen this before, where we've got a pitcher that has given up more than double the amount of home runs as he has walks. 13 home runs surrendered, along with six walks allowed in this time span. Now, he goes up against someone in Hunjin Ryu, who he's very much a pitch-to-contact guy himself for Hunjin Ryu. He's been able to do a little bit of a better job of being able to keep the ball in the yard with 1.2 home runs surrendered per nine innings. He's got a 262 ERA, whereas Little has more of a 4 ERA. Both of these guys with a fielding dependent that is pretty comparable. Both are right around the 4-2-ish range. It's a 4-1-8 with regards to Hunjin Ryu, but I do have a little bit more fear with Little having a bit more regression here. As for the Blue Jays and the Rays, both of these bullpens come in in full force as well as with the Tampa Bay Rays, you've been able to get really good production out of the likes of Kampuche, Kevin Kelly, Sharn Armstrong, guys like this. Jake Diekman have all been able to give you a sub-3-5 ERA. They've been one of the best bullpens in the big leagues since the month of September. But you do have to fear that perhaps they're getting a little bit overworked. They've been without Jeffrey Springs. They've been without Drew Rasmussen, Shane McClanahan for the entire second half of the season. So that's put a lot of strain on them. Meanwhile, for the Blue Jays, they've done a really good job of mixing and matching with their bullpen. They're currently without Jay Jackson, but they've been able to get really good innings out of Jordan Romano, their closer, Tim Meza, Eric Swanson, all these guys providing sub-3-2 ERA. They're currently without Bowden Francis, but still, Genesis Cabrera, Jordan Nix, who have come over from St. Louis, they've both been able to give you a sub-3 ERA in a Blue Jays uniform, and for the Blue Jays, lots of balance when it comes to this lineup. We were fearing that Vlad Guerrero might be out for the rest of the season, but I mean, he's been able to return for this team. He had a little bit of a pinch hitting role in that series against the Yankees, so that's helpful for him as you've got he, along with Alejandro Kirk, Spencer Horowitz, Kevon Biggio, Matt Chapman, Bo Bichette, George Springer, all between about a 330 to a 345 on base percentage. Now, 
with Guerrero. He's the only guy on the team that entered into the series with north of 20 home runs, but a wide disbursement of guys between about 15 to 20 home runs. George Springer, Chapman, Dalton Varsho, when he's been out there, Brandon Belt, as he's been dealing with some ailments as well. All these guys have been able to do a relatively solid job, and for the Tampa Bay Rays, they've been able to do a nice job of mixing and matching without Wander Franco as well. You've got six different guys that have been able to give you at least 18 home runs that are currently healthy because they had Jose Siri in the fold. He is now done for the year, but that's at all but one of these guys. Hitting north of a 248, entering into this series. You've had someone like a Josh Lowe be able to 280 with 18 home runs. You've had this team really be able to pound righties as well. Isak Paredes out of his 29 home runs this year. 25 of them have come against righties. So going up against a lefty in Ryu, I do think it's going to be a little bit of a disadvantage for the team. I felt like the Rays should be favorites, but slight favorites. Being able to get right around about a plus 120 here with Toronto. I'm going to be willing to fire in there. And with regards to Soto, both of these guys are pitching contact guys. So I tell it at 8.4. So looking at the over and looking at the Blue Jays on the money line. 921, 922 on the bank board. The Chicago White Sox hit the road face off against the Boston Red Sox. Nick Pavetta goes for Boston, and Dylan Cease is on the bump for the White Sox. White Sox are road underdogs of between plus 124 to a plus 135. And between minus 147 to minus 155 is your number on Boston. Nine is the total over and under, anywhere between minus 105 to a minus 115. And with regards to the Red Sox, set them at a minus 169 on the money line. If you're taking a look at that run line, you're going to be getting it in the neighborhood about a plus 125 to a plus 135. Anything above a plus 115 was fine with me. And for Nick Pavetta, you do want to be trying to take note of if there is going to be an opener for him or not. Because with Nick Pavetta, he actually has an ERA that is about two points lower when he comes out of the bullpen rather than as a starter. And you do have a little bit of fear with Nick Pavetta pitching at home as well. Because with Nick Pavetta, he's throughout his Boston Red Sox career as an ERA that's about a full point higher when he is at Fenway rather than pretty much any other stadium. So that has been a little bit of a hamperance for him. For Pavetta, what has been the bugaboo for him all season long has been the deep balls. He has been giving up about 1.6 home runs per nine innings. A big reason why he does have a 426 fielding independent, but he has been able to turn over a little bit of a new leaf since he was relegated to the bullpen early on during the season. As first few months of the year, Nick Pavetta, he was just not providing it with too much of anything whatsoever. I mean, after the end of the month of May, he was providing about a 566 ERA going nowhere fast, and then they put him in the bullpen, and ever since the early part of June, if you take a look at things, ever since June 9th, he has made 22 total appearances in the time span, lowered that ERA to about a 371, the 369 fielding dependent indicates that it's right online there, and he's been able to get north of 12 strikeouts per nine innings in this time span as well. When it comes to Dylan Cease, the strikeout numbers are still there for him. They're not as demonstrative as they were a season ago, but still, 10.7 strikeouts per nine innings, but he gives up 4.2 walks per nine innings. Now, truth be told, Dylan Cease, he's got a 485 BRA. He's been quite unlucky, 395 fielding independent. He has been able to round back into form a little bit more in his last two starts, giving up three runs or fewer in his previous two. And with regards to the month of August, it was just no good, very bad, and terrible, and that lingered into the month of September, that first start against the Royals, where he gave up five runs in about five innings. That was a little bit less than terrific, and Cease in general has been bit all over the place when he's been on the road. 547 ERA, give it up in the neighborhood about 1.3 home runs per nine innings, but I believe he's a better pitcher than what he's shown through this season, and he is going up against the Boston Red Sox team that they've been officially eliminated from playoff competition. They're without Jaron Duran, who is out for the remainder of the season. 
They've been shutting down a few of their guys and giving more of their young guys a little bit of a shot as Bobby Dahlbeck has just returned for the team. Sedine Rafaela has actually been very solid in the limited amount of at-bats he's gotten for the Red Sox, hitting about a 300, but got to figure that there might be some guys that might be out of the fold for the team, though, with the Red Sox. They did play all their main guys on Friday. You saw Rafael Devers out there. He's been able to give you north of 30 home runs. Justin Turner, about a 350 on base. He's had 23 bombs. This team has done it against righties and lefties. So Trevor Story. We'll talk about a lost season for him. Injured all year long, and when he's returned, he has been completely useless in this lineup. A sub-275 on base percentage. But for the White Sox, this team just has no idea how to draw walks. They are dead last in the big leagues with regards to walks drawn on a per at bat basis. You've got one guy on the roster with north of a 320 on base. That'd be Andrew Benatendi. As Benatendi, Eloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, Yohan Moncada, Andrew Vaughn, Elvis Andrews, they've all been able to hit between about a 255 to about a 270. And with Robert, I mean, he's been able to give you 37 home runs, but Tim Anderson, even though he's played a little bit better recently, hitting a 250 with a 293 on base. You expected a little bit more there. Yohan Moncada's been hitting a little bit better recently, but too little, too late. And then when you've got guys like Lennon Sosa, Trace Thompson, Corey Lee, giving you a sub-200 batting average, not giving you a lot of pop. That's an issue. On top of that, for the White Sox, this has been an absolutely horrible bullpen. It's not like the Red Sox have been amazing. They've got Kenley Jansen currently out of the fold, but Brandon Bernardino, Josh Winkowski, Chris Martin are giving you a sub-3-5 ERA. And for Martin, a sub-2 ERA. He's actually been really, really good this year. Meanwhile, for the White Sox, when you're having to trot out there, so many schlubs that you just can't trust them whatsoever. I'm talking about guys like a... Nick Padilla, Aaron Bummer, Edgar Navarro, all these guys have been giving you north of a 5-year-A. Davey Garcia, that's an issue. We'll say Sammy Peralta has been relatively okay. Gregory Santos gives you a sub-3 5-year-A, but I do think that this is not going to be the world's greatest pitching expose. I did sub I told it a 9.7. I think that runs are going to be plentiful in this one, especially in a hitter's haven like Boston. So, going to be taking a look at the over and with the Red Sox. At anything north of a plus 115, willing to lay a run and half with them. 923, 924 on the bang board. The Cleveland Guardians play us the Baltimore Orioles. John Means Business is on the bump for Baltimore. Meanwhile, Cal Quantrill is on the bump for Cleveland. Cleveland is an underdog of anywhere between plus 118 to a plus 127. Meanwhile, Baltimore is between minus 135 to a minus 142. Eight is the total. The over is between minus 110 to a minus 120. The under is anywhere between even and minus 110. Did total at a 9.2. I'm going to be taking a look at the over. With Cal Quantrill, he's very much going to be a pitcher contact guy. And for Cal Quantrill, he prides himself on being a little bit of an innings eater. As he's getting five strikeouts of three walks per nine innings. 526 ERA, 476 fielding dependent. Has been able to do a good job of mitigating hard contact. Especially since he's come off the injury list. He was out for pretty much the entirety of the month of July and August. Since he's come back in September, it's actually been really good. Five runs surrendered over the course of four starts, going five and two-thirds innings or more in each of those starts. And, I mean, two of those starts were against playoff contending teams in the Rays and the San Francisco Giants. So, a little bit of credit where credit is due. He's been very lucky on the balls in play as he's gotten three strikeouts or fewer in three out of those four starts as well. Now he has to go up against a Baltimore Orioles team that's averaging darn near 5.5 runs per contest on the road this season. And with Baltimore, you just have everyone on this roster doing a good job of knowing their role and being able to move the line as we saw them put up a very big crooked number yesterday as well. And for Baltimore, typically Adley Rushman or Gunnar Anderson find themselves as the leadoff men as 
for a rushman. He's able to give you about a 365 on base. And then from there, pretty much everyone else in the lineup is giving you between, I would say, about a 316 to a 338 on base. You'll typically have like one guy that might be a little bit of an outlier, but just everyone finds a way to be able to get on base. Aaron X has been a little bit of an outlier as well. Since coming over to Baltimore, he's been able to give you north of a 380 on base. New lease on life ever since he left the New York Yankees. But for Gunnar Anderson, Anthony Santander, these are your main managers. They've been able to give you 27 home runs. Ryan O'Hearn is hitting above a 300 with how much depth this team has. You're able to do a good job with righty-lefty splits as well. Like, you know, if Roman Urias play one night against, like, a lefty, and then the next night you'll have Jordan Westberg out there, so they've done a great job there. And then for the Cleveland Guardians, this team is dead last in the big leagues with regards to home runs as Jose Ramirez. He's done a solid job. Give you 23 to 24 home runs. He's been giving you about a 350 on base. Also gotten a 350 on base out of Josh Naylor along with Stephen Kwan. Naylor is up to 17 home runs, despite the fact that he missed the entirety of the month of August. But with Quan, Andres Jimenez, Ahmed Rosario, Oscar Gonzalez, Will Brandon, all these guys were able to really lead the team to the playoffs last season because they were all hitting above a 270. Nobody other than Quan has been able to do that this season. And as a matter of fact, you're without Ahmed Rosario. So these guys like Miles Straw, Gabriel Urias, not being able to hold up their end of the bargain. That's the big reason why the Guardians are going to miss out on the postseason. On top of that, this is a Guardians bullpen that just has not been the same this year as they were a season ago. There's still a team that's right around 10th with regards to bullpen area overall for the season, but since the beginning of the month of July, we have seen a little bit of a fall off there as you got Sam Entiches, who's posting up north of a 3-5 ERA. James Karinczak has dealt with injuries all season long. Eli Morgan is north of a 4 ERA. So Daniel De Los Santos, Manuel Clase, guys like this doing a solid job. And whenever he's been out there for the team, Ronaldo Lopez has actually been halfway decent as well. So they recently picked him up. But that said, I do think that with John Means, even though he is someone that is trying to work his way back, spent so much time rehabbing from injury as this is only going to be start number three of the season for him. I think they should do a good job holding down the fort against a Cleveland Guardians team that is just not providing a lot of pop in its two starts thus far for Mr. Means, giving up four runs over the course of 10 innings. I think that we could see a lot of the same, and he's backed up by a bullpen that ranks in the top six with regards to ERA since the beginning of the month of July. Even with having Felix Batista on the fold, you've still had good production on the likes of Jacob Webb, CNL Perez giving you a sub-3-5 ERA. You've also got Yanir Cano seeing a little bit of regression, but still sub-225 ERA out of MDL Hall. So able to do a good job of folding down the fort. And Danny Klum has been very underrated in this bullpen as well. So did set the Orioles at a minus 146. I think that they continue to hit on the road. So looking at the Orioles on the money line, set my total just a shade north of 9. It's also going to be taking a look at the over. 925, 926 on the main board. The Seattle Mariners hit the red faceoff against the Walker, Texas Rangers. Jordan Montgomery goes for the Rangers. And Logan Gilbert is on the bump for Seattle. Seattle is a slight underdog. Any between even money to a plus 105. Minus 110 to minus 115 is your number on Texas. 8 to 8.5 is the total on the 8.5 over and under. Both at minus 110 on the 8. The over is minus 120 and the under is even. Set the Mariners where need at least a plus 114 to be able to take a shot on them. I think that Jordan Montgomery is really Texas's best hope of being able to get a win in this series. I'm doing this as I do not know what happened on Friday. So... Perhaps it's their best shot of getting two wins with regards to this series. But for Jordan Montgomery, he got roughed up in a pair of starts towards the beginning of the month of September, but he's been able to rectify things ever since then. Coming in, having allowed one run across 14 innings in his last two starts against Boston and Toronto. And just as a pretty steady guy. Overall for the season, getting about eight strikeouts at 2.3 walks per nine innings. 
Keeps the ball in the yard, giving up less than home run per nine innings. 338 ERA, 358 fielding independent. Does not have demonstrative home and road splits. I just like him in this spot. Meanwhile, for Logan Gilbert, he has been able to do a nice job of keeping the walks down. 1.6 walks per nine innings, but he does give up the deep ball. About 1.4 to 1.5 home runs per nine innings, which does wash out a little bit of the fact that he has been able to get a little bit north of nine strikeouts per nine innings. Just not ideal. Going up against a Texas Rangers team that is averaging just under six runs per game at home, and now is getting healthy at just the right time as well. Adolis Garcia along Josh Young returning to the fold. Two of your top three home run hitters with these two guys back. Pretty much everyone except for Adolis Garcia in the starting lineup hitting now north of a 260 for the Texas Rangers. They've been able to get good finds with the likes of Mitch Garver, Jonah Heim, along with Nathaniel Lowe, Ezekiel Duran, all hitting at least a 260 with 14 plus home runs. Marcus Simeon, 25 plus bombs, hitting a 280 at the top. You've obviously got Corey Seager has been able to do an incredible job giving you a home run every about 13 to 13 and a half at bats while supplying a north of 330 batting average. And for Seattle, they've got their own thumpers. Leo Rodriguez, Cal Raleigh, both with 18 plus home runs since the All Star break. These two guys along to Oscar Hernandez overall for the season. 25 plus bombs. Now you got Jared Kelnick back at the fold. Was struggling when he went on the injured list after kicking the Gatorade cooler, but I did think that he's going to be able to put other teams in a cooler moving forward. And then you've got Josh Rojas, who ever since he has come over to Seattle, he's provided exactly what they needed. A man to be able to move the line, hitting about a 265 with Seattle because Seattle's always had that thumping power. They've always had guys to be able to give you some hard contact, like Eugenio Suarez and company, but they just haven't had a lot of guys to get on base, so it's been a lot of solo shots. He, along J.P. Crawford, who's been able to give you a 400 on base since the All-Star break, have been big now. Texas is going to be outcome with regards to the bullpen. You've got a pair of guys I do like for this bullpen, Aroldis Chapman, along with Jose LeClerc being able to supply a sub-3 ERA and solid and the Seattle Manners, they're just list, littered with these guys. They're giving you a sub-3-6 ERA. As you've got Matt Brash, Isaiah Campbell, Taylor Cicado, Andres Munoz, Justin Topa, Trent Thornton, all in that full. But I do think that Jordan Montgomery going to be able to help mitigate that bullpen use. He's been able to go seven plus innings at each out of his last two starts. Probably going to need to do so once again here, but I do think that he's going to do so in a game that should be featuring a little bit of home run power. I said my total at an 8.6. You're an 8.8 to an 8.5. Looking at the over. One to lay up to a minus 114 on this Rangers money line. 9.27, 9.28 on the bank board. The Houston Astros plays the Kansas City Royals. It is old undecided on the bump for the Royals and J.P. France is on the bump for Houston. We're thinking that's going to be Jordan Lyles and I'm seeing one book list in this with the Astros at a minus 248 plus 220 with the Royals with a total of 9 over at minus 120. The under at even and if you're taking a look at the run line currently, that is unavailable. But I'd be willing to lay up to about a minus 125 on the run line if it is indeed Jordan Lyles. And I set my money line more around about a minus 238. But Jordan Lyles has just been a no good, very bad, terrible year. I think the Royals have now won five of his starts. It might still be four, but... And he has been one of the least profitable pitchers in the big leagues. I get this via Odd Shark because they do a great job of being able to track the pitchers that have both made and lost you the most money. And if you bet $100 on every single one of Jordan Lyles' starts as far this year, on the money line, you're down $1,540. That is the least profitable pitcher out there in the big leagues. Jordan Lyles has been a hot mess. North of a 6 ERA, giving up north of two home runs per nine innings on the road and on the road. 
His ERA balloons to north of a 7. Not going to go too much further into it because he's not confirmed for 1 and 2. I mean, he's just been about as useful as a poopy-flavored lollipop as well. Meanwhile, for J.P. France, you do want to be noting that he's had some issues when he's been at home as well. For France, 3.11 road ERA, 4.59 home ERA. For J.P. France, he is giving up about 1.6 home runs per 9.90 at home. Has not been a great strikeout guy. He's only been able to get right around about 6 after 7 strikeouts for 9 innings as the fielding dependent of TP France pretty significantly higher than the ERA. The ERA is a 384 fielding dependent, more on a 478 as he has been giving up about 3.2 walks per 9 innings now. Fortunately for him, the Kansas City Royals had a tough time other than Bobby Wood Jr. and Salvador Perez of being able to put bad to ball as for Bobby Witt Jr., he has been able to supply 29 home runs, hitting at 300 ever since the All-Star break. And then you know what you're going to be able to get out of Salvador Perez when he is in the fold as they're getting him a little bit of rest towards back out of the season as it's another lost season for the team. And then you do have a lot of guys in that neighborhood about a 225 to a 240. Guys like MJ Melendez, Nick Prado, Kyle Isabella, guys like this sort of in that fold with Melendez. He's been able to give you a little bit of power, but not necessarily extreme power. Nelson Velasquez is someone that I do like, though. I remember he was with the Chicago Cubs either last year or even earlier this year, and he's been able to give you 15 home runs this season between a pair of stops ever since he has gone to the Kansas City Royals. He's been able to hit a home run every about, I would say, nine or so at-bats, about a 3.15 on base. He's been rock solid, but now they have to go up against the Houston Astros team that since the beginning of the month of June have been number one in the American League with regards to runs per game. You've got Jordan Alvarez, you've got Kyle Tucker, both giving you 27-plus home runs. Both of these guys supplying north of a 365 on bases. Alex Bregman now up to a 365 on base. Not extreme power from him this year, but over the last 40 days has been able to give you well north of a 400 base. Jose Altuve at the leadoff spot has been able to give you 400 base. You've had Chaz McCormick when he's been out there be able to move the line. You near Diaz, 20-plus home runs. They do it against righties. They do it against lefties. And with Houston, they are one of the best teams at not striking out in the big leagues. Meanwhile, you've got a bunch in Kansas City that is one of the worst at being able to draw walks with Houston Astros. You've also got a bullpen that still is in the top 10 with regards to ERA. Last year, they were number one. They aren't quite as dominant this year, but still have the likes of Hector Neres, Brian Abreu, along with Ryan Presley, throwing their Kendall Graveman, who have been able to give you a sub-3-4 ERA. Meanwhile, the Kansas City Royals, the likes of Tucker Davidson, Taylor Clark, Jackson Cowork, giving you north of a 4-5 ERA. That's an issue. Colin Snyder, with his approximately 4-5 ERA, has been one of your best relievers. So, did set it to where I'm willing to lay up to about a minus-120 Five on this Astros run line, and we might total to where uh, nine and a half or less. Going to be taking a look at the over a tender higher to the under. We wrap things up with 929, 930 on the bang board. The Ears and the Diamondbacks, they are on the road. They're facing off against the New York Yankees. Carlos Rodon is on the bump for the Yankees. Zach Davies is on the bump for Arizona. This is currently a game that's off the board, but if we do indeed get Rodon against Davies, like the betting board is saying, Somebody told to wear an eight and a half or less. I'm going to be taking a look at the over a nine or higher to the under. And if this does sound like an insert, it is just because I saw this pop up very, very late. My original write-up was going to be on the over in terms of the Atlanta Braves versus Washington Nationals game. That got rained out. And as I saw an opener of eight pop up in this Arizona Diamondbacks versus New York Yankees game, my new write-up is going to be on the over in this spot in terms of being able to take the over of eight with Diamondbacks versus Yankees with the New York Yankees. Could be one to set them as more around a minus 160 favorite. This is a big giant fate of Zach Davies. As Zach Davies has been far from terrific this year. Now, if you do dive into the fielding independent numbers, 
it does indicate that he's been getting a little bit unlucky because the one thing that Zach Davies has been able to do this far this season is he has been able to mitigate hard contact. With Davies, he's only giving up about one home run per nine innings, so a little bit of credit where credit is due there, but he's a pitch of contact guy that does give up north of three walks per nine innings. That just typically does not jive, to say the least. It has resulted in a 681 ERA. Once again, feeling you're paying more around a 451, but when you're getting seven and a half strikeouts, you're giving up 4.3 walks per nine innings. You're putting yourself in a rough situation. Meanwhile, for Carlos Rodon, he just has not been able to figure it out all season long. This is not Carlos Rodon. This is a person masquerading as Carlos Rodon. He has been giving up north of two home runs per nine innings. 590 ERA fielding independent is actually north of a six. Has been able to pitch a little bit better recently, though. Three runs of fear surrendered in four out of his last five starts now. Part of it has been the competition going up against the likes of the Tigers, the Pittsburgh Pirates. That's been a little bit helpful, but it does feel like he's starting to figure it out just a tad in. Has been very encouraging to see him get a combined 19 strikeouts over the course of 11 2 thirds innings over his last two starts. And the Yankees, they still do provide a significantly better bullpen than that of the Arizona Diamondbacks. As the Diamondbacks, since the beginning of the month of July, a bottom eight team with regards to bullpen hearing, the likes of Luis Frias, Miguel Castro, Joe Mantiply giving you five ERA has been an issue. Paul Seawald, it's been a little bit up and down since being traded from the Seattle Mariners. Meanwhile, for the Yankees, with having Michael King out of the fold, the bullpen has taken a little bit of a setback, but still, you've had a lot of guys like Clay Holmes, Tommy Canely, Nick Ramirez, Ian Hamilton be able to supply a sub-3-3 ERA. Now, I recognize that Canely has been a little bit up and down recently along with Clay Holmes, but all in all, have significantly more faith there. Now, for the Arizona Diamondbacks, the lineup is much better for the team as you've got the likes of Corbin Carroll, Lourdes Gurriel, along with Keitel Marte being able to give you between about 22 to 24 home runs and then Christian Walker with 30, but Christian Walker has not been himself recently over the last... 40 or so days. He just has not been able to supply that power really ever since that big series that he had against the Colorado Rockies. It's been an issue as going into the series. Last three days, 286 on base, 207 batting average with two home runs. So he does need to pick it up a little bit there. And then for the Diamondbacks, the entire bottom of the fold has been a little bit of an issue. Geraldo Perdomo post all-star break, hitting below a 235. You've had Emmanuel Rivera overall for the season, hitting at 263. Post all-star break, he's been hitting more around at 235 as well. So this has been a bit of an issue for the New York Yankees. This entire offense has been having its issues. Now, you do have Aaron Judge, Glaber Torres, who have been able to give you nice efforts at the plate as Judge has been able to slug out north of 30 home runs. Glaber Torres right around about a 345 on base. He's been able to supply quite a few home runs. And for Judge, by the way, three home runs yesterday. Just absolutely insane. The team is completely out of the race and still giving you a good effort. But I mean, just take a look past Aaron Judge, and you've got so many guys like John Carlos Stanton, Anthony Volpe, Oswaldo Peraza, Austin Wells, Ben Rotfit, all these guys hitting at 215 or lower. None of them giving you north of a 300 on base. Now, with Volpe, Long Carlos Stanton, both are able to give you 20-plus home runs, but still, you've got your issues there. With regards to this one, though, I do think that Zach Davies, even against this bad New York Yankees lineup, is going to be prone to giving up some runs. Hopefully, the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks take note of what happened yesterday, and they pitch a little bit less to Aaron Judge. But with that said, did said the Diamondbacks as a plus-162 underdog with the Yankees. Want to take them at a plus-123 or better with regards to run line, minus-161 or less with regards to money line, and then 8.5 or less. Going to be taking a look at the over 9 or higher to the under. And that will wrap things up. 
for the Saturday edition of the Baseball Betting Show, now part of the VEASAN family of podcasts. A big thanks to Ben Wilson. Does amazing work here at VEASAN. He joined me in the last segment. If you do like hearing from this fine podcast, Baseball Betting Show, you're able to subscribe wherever you podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have any question, comment, segment, idea, whatever you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways to be able to those in. First one is my Twitter slash X timeline at GNNRN41. Keep in mind, Larry ZM, maybe does not matter. So as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated from there. You're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. Find that five-star review coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season. That means I'll be coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.